I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. This is the one year since the year 2015 where I've even cared anything about E3. Okay. And this year's E3 is definitely Johnny Silverhand. You know I, what I'm talking about? You'll have to unpack Do that Do you for know me. what I'm talking is about, this, Johnny Silverhand? Is this Cyberpunk 2077? Yes. Yeah. Oh, God, that I have heard about. Oh, yeah. So it's Keanu Reeves who's playing a, a uh, an NPC in... In called his name's Johnny Silverhand, and of course it's just Keanu Reeves' face with, and he has like a kind of a rat's arm from Neuromancer. You know, he's got a silver arm or whatever. Yeah, and he's apparently your guardian angel, I suppose, as part in part of the story. Oh, that does feel legit. It feels like gar- he's all of our guardian angel. He's so it's it is great. It raises the stature of this game a lot, of course, because it has this, and there's a lot of good goodwill from their not previous that, stuff. Yeah, not that that Cyberpunk needed much more stature because that's one of the. I mean. That's a game a lot of people, me included, yeah, yeah. have been waiting for. Because I'd really like to see a modern take on on that RPG. I think it'd be great. Yeah, well, we will see how it plays out. But the the thing that I don't know if you did see, Mike, this is the the best part. So they get Keanu Reeves. I think it's the Microsoft Day on stage to talk about it, and he's doing his best. And he's basically uh, the crowd. The cr- cr- the crowd is like really energetic, and he's trying to get through it. And people are wooing, and he's breaking his concentration. And he says. Um, the world of whatever city it is in Cyberpunk 2077 is breathtaking. There's a pause, and then someone from the audience screams, "You're breathtaking!" And then he like is flustered, and he, he gets flushed, and he's like, "No, you! Everyone's breathtaking!" Like he is such a great guy that when he gets heckled from an audience, it's to compliment him. Yeah, and he is he is so earnest that he has to compliment you back <laughs> I, that's what i love it's about so awesome this is a meme oh. that's been building for a while because every once in a while would some somebody would just stop you and say hey do you know how good keanu reeves is and i no, i figured he was just kind of like a schlubby dude and 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 they're like no he does and i'm talking like five or six years ago like a long yeah. time ago no he does all of these amazing things he's an amazing guy and then it just feels like like this is a meme I've been watching build up to a fever pitch mm-hmm. and and it seems like it seems legit. It is it, it's not it's never Keanu who pushes this stuff about no. himself. He's yeah. like this character from myth who if your heart's in the right place and the stars are aligned, Keanu might appear and save you. Like it he's like this is like he was on Stephen Colbert the other day, or like like weeks ago for for uh yes. for John Wick Three, uh which I have not seen yet. Um, uh, and, and it's like, he's taking this opportunity to say nice things. Yeah. He's a cool dude. And they, they ask him, you know, what do you think happens when you die? And he says, well, I think the people who love you will miss you. Yeah. And you're like, oh, you're a nice dude. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He is right there. There was Octavia Spencer said that in the first, she's on her way to her first audition in living in L.A., obviously before she even had any notoriety, and she was she had a car that she drove out, and it was a junker, and it broke down, and no one was stopping for her because it was a junker car, and of course people in L.A. are assholes, but Keanu Reeves stopped on his motorcycle to help her out. Yeah. 
It's like, oh, yeah. okay. Oh, all right. He yeah. will stop and help you with your if and, car is broken down on the side of the road. And she got out to sort of push the back while he would steer. She's like, no, he's like, no, no, no. I'll push. I'll push <laughs> you steer. And it's just like, and it's all of these stories are stories about him helping this uh, brother and sister who are going to get onto a plane, but they couldn't afford the uh, extra baggage thing because they couldn't check the bags. And they're just like, I don't know if we can afford it. And Keanu Reeves is in line behind them and he pays for it. There's this recent tale of. A plane that gets redirected and is stuck at an airport. So Keanu order he basically commissions a bus, yeah. and gets everyone who was on the plane to come to drive them where it is. And he's singing songs, and he just like uh, there's an interview with uh, one of the people who was one of the bus passengers on Speed, and she's like, "He's a super nice dude. He taught me how to make a rice dish." <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's I I know we talked about this in our Keanu episode. There's a concerted effort I made to try to find something, anything negative about him on the internet. Yeah. It just doesn't seem to exist. It's, uh, it, it, I'm afraid, because I don't want to find anything out. I don't. It's it's a weird thing with the internet these days. I'm, I've, I've discovered that, that, like, to get my mind off of things, I've been, like, looking for something else to pay attention to. And, like, for a while, it was uh, uh, randomizers for video games. Mm. I was really into it. And I really liked the community because the community seemed really super positive. It was really nice. Everybody was nice to each other. Everybody was helping each other. It's not like, you know, it's... it's it, Not like playing Fortnite. Yeah, it's you not know? like playing Fortnite. <laughs> yes. It's They're not... They're, they're in competition with each other, but they're all trying to get... They're all trying to have the best possible game where they're, you know, like they're teaching each other strategies, they're friends and stuff like that. And I was like, when does somebody come across this on the on the Internet? This is amazing. And it's a nice change. When and you it's see just, it. yeah, it took up all my time. And then like some drama stuff happened. And, and I just like, oh, I nope. Yeah. Nope. Um, nah, I think it I'm doesn't it doesn't take a. It isn't a difficult thing to ruin something like that, but it's wonderful when you do find it, even if it's yeah. fleeting. Um, what is it the vision says in Age of Ultra? Nothing is beautiful because it lasts. <laughs> but, hmm. you know, there is something hmm. about that, that when you do find people that are actually nice. Like, I used to play um, Ultima Online. I don't oh, even wow. know. That was that's that, a surprise. I didn't know that. That was a long time ago. It was yeah. the late nineties, early. You were 2000s. An early adopter for the MMO. <laughs> yeah, it was. No. It was is like prehistoric compared to MMOs today. Totally. It got wiped out by EverQuest, which got wiped out by uh, World of Warcraft, mm-hmm. and World of Warcraft will probably eventually fall to something else. I don't know what, but nothing seems to have killed it yet. But in Ultima Online, uh, you kind of would end up building two different characters. That um, I had a house that I was building on, but you have an adventure character and what they called a mule. Mm. This is a character that just did crafty things. They would build things in your houses. It wouldn't take up, you know, the, there's a point system for how good you could be at things. And you wanted to save all of your skills for your adventure character. Like I had a bard who also had magic skills and he had a big purple hat. <laughs> and uh, my character were all purple and red. Uh, but yeah, he was a bard and he went on adventures and shot fire at bad guys. And my other guy, who kind of looked like Willie Nelson, uh, was like a blacksmith <laughs> and a miner. And the thing you learned really quickly in these MMOs is that people are sociopaths. Yeah. That if you go on adventures, there's always somebody waiting for you to trip so that they can let the monster kill you. And they found out all these exploits where they could lead you to your death without getting negative karma. 
So you'd run into those people, and you got a, you got kind of wary of them. But when I played my mule character, everyone acted different with their mule characters. You're in a mine, and you're all you're all spamming the same mouse button to <laughs> dig up ore that you're going to use. And something I noticed is that no one would steal from each other as a mule character. That everyone would be free to leave a pile of ore, even expensive rare ore on the ground because they couldn't carry it with their weight, and no one would take it. There was this honor system that existed nowhere else in the game. And in the rare event that some horrible player killer, or PKer as we called them back then, would swarm in and try to murder you all because you didn't have combat skills... Um, we would dogpile that son of a bitch. And we might might not have melee skills, but we might all the time, motherfucker. Our strength stores are off the fucking chain. (laughs) So we we wouldn't be able to outfight him, but there's like nine of us. We go, get that guy. And then we wouldn't even loot his body. We'd just leave it there to rot. (laughs) And we'd go back to mining. As a sign to others. We were like the doozers on Fraggle Rock. Oh, man, I love the doozers. (laughs) And... It was this. Com- you knew that these people w- also had adventure characters. That nobody plays that game just to build stuff and not do adventure stuff. So it's almost like you compartmentalized this part of you that had ethics and kindness and civility that you just turned off when you played your flashier character who had a giant magical sword. Yeah, and I've still never seen that in any other game I've played. I. I don't know. I, I I hear some pretty amazing things about Eve Online as far as terrible behavior goes. I mean, it it does seem to be, uh, you know, people say it's a spreadsheet game, but it does it seems to be like a, a a spreadsheet game played for the purposes of sociopathy. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, I think isn't it the the sort of organizing principle is around corporations? Yeah. And so you automatically know that you're in a sort of like dog eat dog. Wall Street style uh, sort of thing. And also you, if you're starting in the game, you know that there are just people who have invested now over a decade into solidifying their, their, their like tribe's power in this. And it's all very formal. So I don't, I mean, I assume that there's probably a lot of great stuff in it. I know nothing about trying to start as the little guy. That sounds really intimidating. Yeah. It sounds like real fucking life to a degree that I, it's like, it's like, wow. It's like, how do I become a, a rich, successful person in a world where everyone else has a huge head start on me? Wow, now now you know what it's like to live. I could do that shit in the real world and fail. <laughs> that was always one of my guiding principles for running for like when I when I ran LARPs was like everybody I, I was known for letting people have more power mm-hmm. when a lot of like like quicker access to like larger spells and stuff like that. Because uh and when a lot that was against the trend a lot of other LARPing groups have where they would have um you know, they wanted to curtail power so that it was easier for them or or so that, you know, it felt so, so that the people who already had the power felt like they had something over, you know, what, whatever sociological reasons that they were coming up with. And I'm like, no, nah, if I wanted that kind of thing, I just go to work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm here to explode things with fireballs. Yeah. Let's get to the fireballs. I mean, that that's why I've never, if I've ever played Dungeons and Dragons, I always want to play a wizard because that's the thing, no matter what I do, no matter how many push-ups I do. I can't be a wizard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I'm going to pretend to be a thing that isn't real, I want to pretend to be a thing that isn't really, really real. Yeah. So, you know, I if I wanted to be, you know, Sir Lancelot, I could. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of job opportunities for Lancelot these days, but <laughs> yeah. if I wanted to wear armor and carry a sword and, and 
battle battle bad guys i could but i can't shoot fire at people yeah. even if even if people are larping it's still the one thing you really have to use the most imagination and, for and like, but but there's there's interpersonal drama you know there's 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 person on person stuff and i'm like at the time i'm like okay i work for a company i'm the only one being paid I'm the manager. The company is going straight up the owner's nose. Mm. I have enough interpersonal <laughs> drama. Bring me the fireball. Seriously. So that that uh, to me raises the question of what about the people who are like, you know how there's a blank simulator insert year here for pretty much everything now? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like the people who are truck drivers in some country in Europe and when they get off work, they come home and fire up European truck simulator. You know, like- Th- that this is a pathology that I just don't understand. I get it. Yeah, I, it depends on your job though too, because nobody wants to go home and do fake data entry. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that, that, it's always a truck driving thing. There's something zen about that. People game. like driving, and the nice things about these simulators is they focus. They generally focus on the on the fun parts. Uh, European truck driver simulator doesn't have you like doesn't have a, a several hour section where you're filling out bills of lading and stuff like that. Right. It's it's all about the parts of the parts of the job that are interesting to people. It's like similarly uh, pilots who, who build really enormous uh, flight simulators at home. Right. That's actually a thing. It makes them better pilots, but also they're not, you know, they can have a martini and fly their f- fake plane. Right. They don't have to worry about flight hours if they want to try out an A380 or something like that. Right. It's, it's, all the part, it's all the reasons they took the job without all the crap that makes the job practically unbearable for all intents and purposes. <laughs> also, not having people's deaths, imminent deaths hanging over you is probably one thing. Yeah. It would be relaxing. Yeah, if you want to try and do a loop-the-loop in, a, in, a, in an A380. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's the same thing with like Sin City or Sim City. Yeah. Uh, you could make it Sin City, where you just there's a point where you get bored. You save the game and unleash Godzilla or right. tornadoes on it, just to see see what it feels like. Now you know it, it's that kind of stuff. But actually, talking about those little little oases of of niceness, sometimes you can manufacture them. They're hard, but I've played Grand Theft Auto Online. It's been a long time, but. The fastest way to make a friend in that game is to find a person who's running from the cops who's already wrecked their car. It is on foot now. And you pull up alongside them in your car and tell them to get in. Oh, so you basically do the beginning of Preacher. Yeah. You, <laughs> okay. You, if you rescue someone, they are your friend. Yeah. And you get away from the cops. I remember I, I rescued somebody. They were clearly running and trying to fire back at the cops. They were going to die. So I just pulled along. They got in, and I took off, and I always have my radio set to the classic rock station. <laughs> and there's this bit where I'm driving really fast. The guy in my passenger seat is um, shooting at the cops. He's got his gun out, blasting behind them, and the cops following us. And this Kenny Loggins song from Footloose is playing on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I can hear in my headset that the guy that I rescue is softly singing along with the Kenny Loggins song. <laughs> And my thought was, oh, this is nice. Yeah, jeez, <laughs> it was, it was nice. Um, but yeah, um, those those were always a lot of fun. That you make you make friends by, hey, let's all team up and do something stupid, uh, in a way that you don't want to do. Like what we we robbed one of those, you know those those military helicopters with two propellers that look like a Twinkie. 
Um, we broke into a military base and stole one of those, and then we were just using it to rob convenience stores. I can't remember the name of the There Forever Twinkie Copters to me. Damn it, you've, you've reprogrammed my brain. So yeah, we went- Osprey, it's out there. I have no idea. Okay, so yeah. we're just like flying this thing, landing it in front of like a 7-Eleven. The pilot stays in, the rest of us pile out with guns, rob the convenience store, and then pile back into the helicopter. And because it's just like a one or two star deal- we get away because the cops aren't sending a helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, you're thinking, wow, we're, in any kind of realistic sense, we're spending way more on yeah. fuel right now. All right, we knocked off the gas station. How much do we make? Negative 15 each. Woo! <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but it was just such a wonderfully stupid thing to do. Let's pile out of the helicopter and uh, steal some shit. Yeah. Uh, also in that game, um, that I, one of the things I really enjoy, if you sing in the shower, you get experience. <laughs> so I was sort of humming to myself just reading a book at home. And um, if you yell at the NPC convenience store clerk, he puts money in the bag faster. And there is nothing that makes me feel more insecure and stupid than yelling random stuff at an NPC. Like, don't do it. Do it. Fill the bag. Fill it. And I'm like, there's not a real person here. And you just feel really kind of silly. This is why people fear AI. Yeah. Is because we're doing this to them. We're killing right. them over and over yeah, again. I mean, shouldn't people consider the ethics of creating things to murder over and over again? No, I don't think it's don't the, they feel pain? I don't think it's the murder. I think the murder is fine because we, you know, it's programmed. It's, it's the humiliation. Pro- nah, it's like if I were an ambulance, like, oh, uh, oh, you shot me. Well, that's what this game is for. That's cool. But do you have to insult me while you're doing it? Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> Just let me do my job here. <laughs> oh my god! I don't know when we are when we create the AI equivalent of being able to pants them. That, that's when <laughs> that's when start doing the shoving their head in a toilet. That's when Skynet starts. Yeah, they're just yeah, like you can't stand the video games. You can rob people in yeah. Skyrim by putting a bucket over somebody's right. head. Right. And it's like no, we get the violence. You do it here so that you don't actually hurt people, and it's not harming us. We're built for this. It's cool. But do you have to make fun of me while you're doing there, it? Yeah, there's just there's so, there's just a lovely bit of being able to have just to like revel in some sadism. Yeah. When it's t- towards a, f- a a virtual being, and like I just play FTL, and there's a mechanic in FTL where an enemy ship, if you, um, if it has crew, if you can set fire enough fire to a ship, then they'll all burn to death. And there really is nothing more gratifying because you you get more resources <laughs> after you beat a ship if you kill the crew instead of destroying the ship. And but there's just something where you just you're like. You're like, oh, this is gonna be perfect. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw this firebomb in here, and I'm gonna mind control the guys so they're punching each other while their health is going down. And then I want to see every room engulfed in flames. And you're just sort of like, Wah! I, uh, I've it been playing brilliant. a lot of RimWorld. Oh, uh, if oh you've yeah. Played it, and and there's a little bit. Oh, the sadism that you can do in RimWorld is yeah, insane. Because yeah, a raid comes, and wait, what direction are they coming? Ah, oh, I come from the north. That's where all my defenses are. Hey guys. Watch this. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't need that skull. Let me get your liver. That's what I I, like. Literally, that's it. it, Yeah. So great. I have made quite a bit of money in my current save game from harvesting uh, uh, organs. Organs. (laughs) Yeah. I I've, I've said this before on the show, but I've always had a hard time being evil in a game. I just. Well, I'm I I'm by by the rules I have set aside for myself in this playthrough, I am moral because they were going to die anyway. It was either I it was either they were going to get killed by my auto guns or I'd get their kidneys. 
So at least, at least I'm at least somebody gets to live this way. It's not just death; it's a death and a life. And I make about three thousand silver, so it's great. There you go. Yeah, everybody wins except the guy who was going to die anyway. He doesn't have a kidney yeah. anymore. So, so it's moral after a fashion. It's like when I, it's like when I would make the. Auto- it feels like you're about to hand me a copy of Atlas Shrugged. Yes. <laughs> I it, I like doing that in video games. The difference between me and most other people is it stops at video games. It's like when I would make the auto chicken harvester in Minecraft. And I'm like, Becky, I made an automatic chicken harvester. It's completely moral. And she's like watching it. She's like, no, it's not. <laughs> you're making, you're killing, you're killing the chickens automatically. Yeah, no, no. There's this group of chickens. They live for as long as they like. They lay eggs that are turned into chickens who are then automatically killed as soon as they're adults. Yeah. So it's fair treatment. The, the the food is food, and the not food is not food. And she's like, you're just killing their children yeah. <laughs> over and over again. That's not moral, you monster. I'm like, but they never see them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're the, you're the H.H. Holmes of, yeah. my, of Minecraft. Uh, I have this slide down to this acid bath. There's a lot worse I could have been called oh, for that one. I'll go um, with H.H. Holmes on that one. <laughs> Okay, I'm actually surprised no one's asking me about Dune. Dune, yeah, that was number two oh, okay. on the list. That was number two, and we talked about this off off the air, offline. Yeah. And uh, I, the the only new thing that I know is that they are trying to spin it into a TV show. Which t- this is this is becomes the problem of hey, it's a cinematic universe. And Don't launch that stuff right before you launch your first no, movie. It's like it's like ordering six different prequels to game of thrones and you're like figure out if the real one's gonna work first make sure that your dc heroes are good heroes before you start writing the justice league movie you know things to say about this (laughs) don't again it's like don't get overconfident because then you get something like the the mummy movie with tom cruise which has that thing at the beginning says the dark universe if you left that tag off and didn't tell people you're doing that movie, then you can wait to see if it's a success. And if it is, you hint a little bit more out there. You... It's much worse than you think I, it is. I mean, I was apprehensive for Blade Runner, of course. And when this sort of team aligned forward, that went away. And I think that what came out of it wasn't what I feared, which would be like something that was so inferior that it tarnished the reputation of the original and that people who haven't seen it before would watch that movie and be like, oh, that, shit, that shitty movie? I'll never watch the other one because that new one was shitty. Um, well, it's, I, don't, I don't think that's the case with, with this Dune as far as its reputation. And I think the caliber of personnel that are on it are, are amazing. And there, there is amazing shit that can, be, uh, that can be harvested from it. It's going to have to be split into two separate projects, and there's a bunch of reasons for it. But I've recently taken to posting a lot on uh, Dune shit posting groups. Uh, yes. it's, it's basically my favorite hobby right now. <laughs> um, Sometimes that's just the type of therapy you need. It, it, it is, is absolutely yeah. the therapy I need right yeah. now. And this but, year, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've got a lot of friends who are into Dune. And I've been getting a lot of feedback because they've, you know, they've been slowly releasing the casting for, uh, for uh, Dune. Like they've got uh, something. What is his name? 
Skarsgård? Stellan Skarsgård. Stellan Skarsgård. As Duke Leto, as Duke Leto the first, which is good casting. He's, oh, no, he's, uh, he's oh, no. Harkonnen. He's Harkonnen, he's, right. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah he, he's uh, Baron Harkonnen, which is still good casting. He'd, he'd be good at any of that. That's, I think Duke Leto is Oscar Isaac. That's it. Yep. Du- but the thing that everybody seems to be pissed off about is Jason Momoa as Duncan Idaho. And I don't get it. I don't. No, I there's, don't there's so many. So I, I don't get it from several fo- <laughs> several directions. He's, he's definitely not going to be like permission to come aboard with a smile on his face. No. So and I think we're like, all well, right. He's, he's such a flat actor. He's da, 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 da. and I'm like I no. like I don't like comic book movies, but I know him from like Atlantis, uh, and I and I watched some movies with him in it. He's got. It's a fine actor. He's yeah. fine. Yeah. Um. And, and then he he can play a a uh, a very. Respectable and believable killer, right? And the other side of it is, <laughs> right? is everybody's like, "Well, well, Duncan Idaho is such a, a complex and nuanced character." Like, no, he fucking isn't. He's got two speeds: murder and fucking. That's it. <laughs> like the whole point of Duncan Idaho is that he's a fixed point that the universe revolves around. He is unchanging right. after three thousand fucking years of living with a worm that farts spice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with a human face on it. Like that's. That's the point. Oh, that's really in the book? I haven't read it. That's God Emperor. I've seen the cover. I didn't know if that was just a... a Artistic flourish. A narr- I thought it was a narrative device. Oh, it's really a worm with a human face? Yeah, it's that's what that's Leto 2. That's Leto the Tyrant. Oh. Um, I gotta uh, read these books. Spoilers, I guess. <laughs> uh, I only read the first one. Um, yeah, and so the idea of Duncan... I- Duncan Idaho is not... He's not a flamboyant character. He's not a... He's not a comic book character... He literally just is good at two things, swordplay and yeah. fucking. I mean, uh, I, I or, would liken him more to like a Brock Sampson yes! type of character than the w- w- depiction we at least got in David Lynch's Dune. Which, right. Who played him in the David Lynch of, one? It's uh, pretty flat. He was whole, a pretty flat guy, and he was yeah. barely a character in the David Lynch movie. He yeah. was uh, his His major thing was that he showed up a little bit, and then when the Harkonnens invaded... He was literally just shot with a bullet and died, and like, and so, so David Lynch was trying to do this thing about how, yes, he's chivalrous and strong and whatever, but chivalry and strength have nothing to do in the face of somebody who's just going to fucking murder you. Yeah, and and that's what they did with. It sounds like, um, it sounds like uh, Frank Herbert and George R. R. Martin would have gotten along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, sure. But uh, so, but the movie is being done by yeah is the Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Yeah, and I think it's going to be fine. I, yeah. And the thing is, I'm either going to, it, it, it's, unlike Blade Runner, Dune has no cinematic cred. Dune, nope. David Lynch's Dune, is fucking terrible and hilarious. It's it's not a movie that speak. It, it's a movie you watch not because it's a great version of Dune, it, it's a movie you watch because it's fucking hilarious, with yeah. heart plugs and milking cats. Right, and, and, and the thing about it is that they're not, there's no, nothing visual there's no set design. There's no art direction. There's no visual things that you are going to obligatorily move into a new version of it. At and John Luke Picard and Picard and a skullet. Right, yeah. right. But you know what I'm saying is like it's not like having to do a sequel to Wizard of Oz, like right. 50 years after the fact or something. There, you have no, you owe nothing to David Lynch's. You don't, not, not, nothing that he created as his visual interpretation needs to be carried forward. No. So in that sense, like it's fine to do to spin and do it. There's a, there's less of a visual fandom of that than there is a fandom of the books. And and, and from Blade Runner, I know Villeneuve can do big. Yeah, he can do yeah. momentous, and that's. And D- the Dune universe is is a huge place. It's a little story that's happening in an enormous place. 
And uh, I, I think he'll, he'll do credit to that. So I'm actually looking forward to the movie. Yeah, I, I am. The guy who's playing Piter is David Dalmachian, I think his name is. And his, his of, of course, there's confidentiality whenever you're an actor and you get a script for something. His r- response was this. He's like, I've never read anything like it. So that was, to me, that was the biggest weakness of Blade Runner 2049. I feel like there was some things that just didn't work out well script-wise. Um, so if it really is an amazing adaptation of the, I don't actually know who's writing it. If it's an amazing adaptation of the source material that's done well and the people, the actors who are prosecuting it have a lot of nuance in yeah. it, it can, it could be something that could supersede the previous incarnations, and if you it, know. if it doesn't work out, I'll just throw it on the pile of funny things. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I have the miniseries, which while it had a budget of like $5.75, was actually a fairly good telling yeah. of the Dune story. Yeah, yeah. Now, the TV show. Was there a TV show? They've blabbed a TV show recently. Okay. Well, let's, let's like, get the movie done right first. Is it like a Bene Gesserit thing? Is it supposed to it's be? It's about the Bene Gesserit, yeah. and the, one of the executive producers is Kevin J. Anderson. Oh. Is, is Kevin J. Anderson the person who's co-writing it with his kid? Those, yes. uh, those other Dune books? Yeah. The um, not- the not Dune real books. Dune books. Um, yeah, I, I I have to admit, I've read. I have I've, a lot of the. I read them because I figured, what else am I going to do? Um, and then I started reading them so that I could authoritatively say they are bad. Like I'm not saying they're bad from a position of ignorance. No, I've read them. They're bad. <laughs> I haven't um, heard anyone defend them. I but I I, I haven't read them. So I I'm, spend a lot more time in Dune groups, so I do meet people who defend them because for some of them. Like, I, I just had a conversation with somebody who says, well, those books were my introduction to Dune. And I'm like, holy shit. You didn't just start with Dune? Like, at, well, at, at also, at, and you kept up with it? Yeah. <laughs> like, wow, that's, that, that, okay. It's it's also weird because, I mean, I've, my my interaction with Dune has been fairly limited where I've only read the first book and seen the David Lynch movie. Yeah. That's everything that I know about Dune. And then I spent a half an hour on a Dune wiki page. Okay. Um, so I know that this is a dense universe. I know it's a universe that has a glossary in the back of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds like a book that it, a book series that you don't want to start off with, like a later book. It seems like you should just start with the beginning. I because it sounds like you'd just be lost if you started with one of those later ones. Yeah. And hey, if you found your way in that, con- congratulations. But it sounds like it sounds like there's some there's a learning curve to Doom. A Dune. Dune. Well, there's also a learning curve to Doom. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's different. But yeah, get the shotgun fast. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, 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 as somebody who's not there, I, I've liked Denny Villeneuve movies. I loved um, Blade Runner 2049. I really liked Arrival. Yeah. Uh, he's somebody who's not afraid to have a movie that has a deliberate, thoughtful pace. And in the world of big budget sci-fi, that's something we don't get a lot of nowadays. And it seems like I welcome that sort of look and get, and he obviously uh was able to do a blade runner sequel which is something people go into with a lot of expectations well, a lot of people feelings. thought was impossible right and he managed to not only pull it off but not write a bunch of, of fan fiction where he explains every every fan theory or headcanon thing that he's ever wanted to do um, because that's where if you're creating something as a fan where i think the bad habit comes out like, oh, I want to definitively answer the question of whether Deckard is a replicant or I want to definitively do this or definitively do that, where I think what he ended up doing was telling a great Blade Runner story that 
doesn't have to be any more it's not a, a exposition dump in the same way the first one was that's a no. that's a really good point and i think that i think that's the divide you're facing here is that dune a dune movie to be done right one i am not like go go forth and conquer go do the thing make the best dune movie you you, you can under the circumstances and i don't know that anybody's ever going to have a chance like this again to do it right mm-hmm I don't know that you're going to succeed. It could be that Dune is just not the kind of subject matter that that translates to film very, very well. Very possible. Yeah. Um, and it looks like that's what he's gonna. That's what Villeneuve is gonna do, and I'm all for it. Um, and and Herbert himself, you know, I, he didn't really didn't think he was gonna go six novels originally. Um, let let us not remember that my first run of Dune that 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 Mike bought me was published by Chilton's. Yes. <laughs> Um. Yeah, it was not. It, it was not. That blew my mind when I saw that. Those are the people who make auto repair manuals. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, he shopped it all over, and nobody would take it. And then it ends up being one of the most. You know, he must have known somebody. He must have. Uh but then, um, uh, Kevin J. Anderson, whose main claim to fame before coming to the Dune novels was writing Star Wars novels, mm-hmm. and not, uh, as far as I understand, not particularly good ones. It's not my area. I, I think don't he know. was the young Jedi guy? Yeah. is He's definitely someone who writes in the realm of a cinematic universe. So if you want to... If you want to... Uh, if you want to do cinematic university kind of stuff, you're going to have... Having Kevin J. Anderson involved makes sense. And if they do, like, the kind of separation where... Like Marvel does with its bit, like tiny TV shows and its big movies, where mm-hmm. Dune gets to be its own thing. It doesn't make any references to uh, to the TV shows. They're not, you know, they're technically related, but the relationship is really one direction. Yeah, I'm okay with that. If they try to tie the things in closely together, I will vomit many substances. Because I think that's that's the stuff you want. Is you want the movie to allow to be itself and to not make the connections too obtrusive. Yeah. Because when you make the connections and the Easter eggs and the other stuff too important and they just shove their way past it, then you oftentimes forget to tell a story. That was actually one of the things that people would say a lot of the times with with Rogue One in its defense. And I'm a lot less negative about Rogue One than I used to be. But, oh, it ties up this plot hole. It ties up this plot hole. And it's like, well, I don't want to see a movie that's just about tying up a plot hole. Right. If that's that's your selling point to me, um, because I was fine with it before you told me that that was a plot hole, why the Empire didn't put a grate over (laughs) an exhaust port. Um, I I just thought it was the same reason that bad guys do anything in fiction. Fucking hubris. Yeah. Um, who's going to shoot that teeny little thing? Because we got cannons all over this fucking thing. Who's going to get close enough? Um, but yeah, I think that's that's the kind of vibe I get, which is that if it becomes more about building a foundation than telling a story, like I'm getting you ready for the next movie, but then you get to that movie and it's getting you ready for the next movie, and Marvel, I think, for the most part, has been pretty good about this stuff. That's why they tend to save the most uh, obtrusive versions of this to post-credit sequences. So if you don't want to see all that stuff, you can just leave. Um, But I don't know. I don't trust a lot of people to do this well. Um, The Dark Universe uh, thing with The Mummy, apparently, they just derail the movie for a while to introduce Dr. Jekyll. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just like, well, why is this guy in this movie? Um, You know, the first Iron Man um, has Nick Fury in a post-credit sequence. 
it doesn't do a lot of getting ready for the Avengers thing because I think it had the insecurity of not knowing if there's going to be a second thing. And that's a bit more comfortable because then if it turns out this thing does flop a la Dark Universe, then there isn't this big, weird, confusing thing in the middle of your movie that never pays off. And you kind of want this thing, at least at first, to stand on its own. The very first Star Wars movie ends as if it could be the only Star Wars movie. Yeah. Because George Lucas barely made this one. How are you <laughs> going to think he's going to make another one? So I, I want that insecurity to come back where movie studios aren't thinking five movies down the line. Let's get a really good movie that doesn't feel like everything else. And like I mentioned with this filmmaker, I have confidence not being a massive Dune scholar or anything that the the specific tone of the novel that I read like 10 years ago is a tone that I think is totally simpatico with the kind of sci-fi this guy likes to do. Yeah. Also, and it just the, the sign of saying, we will allow this two movies was a very good, it, instead of maybe trying to do a two and a half hour movie or something. I think that was a good To say, call. well, we'll do five hours instead. Uh, that's the that is the that is the best way you could have done it, I think. And and any any of attempt to try to make it, I mean, I guess there's the cynical thing of making the Hobbit into three movies, which yeah. is uh, was just like, do you need to? Well, that's that's the negative adaptation of this concept. It's, right. it's the it's it's how it's implemented poorly. Where this is right. making Dune splitting Dune in half, it makes sense because the book is split in half. It's technically three acts, but the right. third act is really just a, a, a coda on, the, on, the, on an enormous second act. Right, yeah. Uh, right. So splitting in half makes a lot of sense because you've got, you've got uh, Paul of, of Caladan coming to Dune and then his life as a, as a noble person basically ends and then you have Muad'Dib's story, mm-hmm. which is a complete, it has a natural break in it. Right. And that makes a lot of sense. Well, Sam, the only real question for you is, we've got the spectrum. Battlefield Earth on one end, Lord of the Rings on the other end, and we'll see we'll see how it falls into. I agree. <laughs> Leverage. <laughs> I get my fingers crossed. Me too. Radio vs. the Martians is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Valverde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Dorn, and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music is written and performed by James Wetzel. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And you can always find us online at radioversusthemartians.com. Martians.com.